Welcome to the Weathervane Podcast. I'm Brian McTeer from Weathervane Music, here again with our good old friend, former Shaking Through producer and director Peter English. Peter and I recorded these conversations back in early 2014, and we're sharing them now, partially in anticipation of Peter's next big thingy, which Peter is going to tell us about. Tell us, Peter. Uh, I've been working on a podcast. It's called The Long Play, and it's a narrative journalism look at the music industry. It's about what it takes to make your passion into your career. Do you think anyone's ever going to hear this podcast ever? It's uncertain, (laughs) but if they want to, it'll be in fall 2015. But what we're listening to now is not that. It's actually the precursor to it. These conversations were recorded here in Philadelphia, and they're great, reflective, introspective conversations with musicians and engineers about what they do to improve and sustain their craft. My conversation today is with Jonathan Lowe. Shaking Through fans will remember John as his role as engineer and mixer through the first several seasons. That's right. And he got his start as my intern. That's right. The first person I ever brought on for that kind of thing. Uh, And over the years, he's grown into quite a respectable young engineer and producer, working with producer Aaron Desner of The National, not to mention producing records for bands like Restorations, The Menzingers, Carol, and many, many, many more. So uh, let's listen to the conversation. Uh, All right. So we're recording. Um, So I want to just talk to you about a couple of things. I mean, obviously I want to talk about gear stuff, but I'm curious because we haven't even really talked about like the trajectory. So where you are right now, like you're doing really like excellent quality work with excellent people. You've been working with like Aaron Desner. Uh, you've worked with Sufjan recently. Like you've been, mm-hmm. you're doing good, like good work yep. with good people. Yep. I don't even know how this gets started. I mean, you and I met, I don't know, what was it? Four years ago, something like that. Probably like four, four or five years, years ago, ago yeah, yeah, something like that. And you would just sort of, just like I had, just like materialized um, with Brian, and we both started working with him in different capacity. But I don't even know what happened before that. You would just graduate. Like, what? Tell me, what? Why did you get an engineering? Uh, well, I kind of went to school for it. Okay, kind of went to school for it. Yeah, as okay. much, I guess, maybe not as much as you could. Yeah. But I, I went to Drexel. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a music industry program where you can concentrate on like the tech side of things, right. recording, um, or the business side. So like more label oriented things and um, right where like Mad Dragon comes from, right? Right. Yeah. And it, it was still a pretty new program, and uh, there was I basically. Um, I basically ended up doing the te- the business program instead of the tech. Oh, program. really? Yeah. Okay. Um, Why kinda, did you do that? I I already had passed out a lot of the core okay. stuff, and I just kind of chose my own like path right. Right. Um, with all that stuff, and kind of just really really exploited the fact that I had access to the studio. Right. Um, <laughs> It was actually me and Joe. Right. Yeah, Joe Basiri, right, who also does stuff for us, yeah. And we would be in there, like, every single weekend in the studio. Yeah. I don't know how much I'm supposed to say. I think you're supposed to be allotted a certain amount of time. But, like, everyone else would be like, why are those guys in there every single day? Well, why wouldn't you be, though, right? Isn't that the whole point? Yeah, I right? guess so. If you have, like, they're giving you access to stuff, right? Why not take advantage of it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were also in a band with the program director's daughter. Um, yeah. So... We, 
It, it worked out. Yeah. Um, but I, I met a lot of people doing right. that program at Drexel. Um, I brought in a lot of outside work and just kind of like made relationships that way. Hmm. And that's kind of how I met how I met Brian. Right. I did my co-op at Minor Street. I guess I was the first ever like intern or or yeah. outside uh, outside help outside yeah. engineer. Um, but I right out right out of school, I didn't do that much. Right. Like it was it was pretty grim. Um, I right, because you graduated in two thousand and eight. Eight, yeah, which is like the worst time to enter the job market, pretty much. Yeah, and that's kind of why. I, I guess I went on the business side. It was like this is a little bit more of a a backup thing right. than it is. Like I felt like it would be smart. The right. other half, I I kind of knew and was understanding a little bit on my own. Well, how? Because you just taught yourself that, and I was I was practicing it. Right. I was able to, which is maybe the most important thing to do is to just like get reps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for a while it was like. Pretty, pretty grim. Pretty, pretty sparse work. Yeah. Um, and then I think a lot of that stuff picked back up with uh, when when Weathervane like initially started. Right. And I guess that was like 2010. Yeah, something like that. Early early 2010. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's I mean? It's interesting. So I guess I have like I have a couple questions about that. Like one. Should did you regret going? Not regret sounds doesn't sound like the right word, but do you? What do you think about the decision to go to school? Did you need it? Because I remember you saying at one point that you learned so much by coming to Minor Street and working with Brian that like your education kind of started then. You know. Yeah. What did you think about? Should people go to recording schools? Um, that's that's a tough question. I don't think yeah. there's like a, a general good answer. Right. Uh, I feel like. My time going to school for something like that, I learned a lot of stuff um, from school. Right. Uh, good and bad, like stuff that yeah. cool. I should do things this way, or yeah. this is interesting, or that's an example of something I would never want to do, or never do in that manner. Like a technique thing, or like a that, and just like even on uh, like practical stuff right. on business stuff right. on like on people skill stuff right uh i mean that's one thing you don't get out of school is is how to translate what you're learning into uh actual real world like right. situations right. when people's money and time and careers and right. reputation are on the line like that is totally different than when all it is is a grade Right. When like, oh, right. you got to finish this project right? Um, for this random band that comes in for free studio time yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by Friday. Like, right. it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 definitely, it definitely has advantages. And I mean, a, another big disadvantage is like school is real expensive. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Prohibitively expensive. Right. Um, so... I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's a good choice. I think it's very right. dependent on 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 who's asking that question and right. where they are uh, in their situation. Right. Um, 
But I, I, I totally got a lot out of it. Right. I, I don't know what would have yeah. happened if I didn't spend four years at a, in a university. Right. Um, but I think it made me realize what I needed to get out of my time there, what, what is like totally up to me. Right. Because unlike a lot of the other programs where you have a career path where you are expected to like be recruited out of school. Right. That doesn't exist. Right. You have to go make your own way. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one, first of all, no one is going to pay you on your internship, on your co-op. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that should be a big warning right off the bat <laughs> right. for any other field. Right, you're in you're a You're expected some yeah. sort of compensation just right. for like spending your time doing something. Right. Whereas uh, at a recording studio or something like that, that's that's off the table. Right. That's not even... Right. No one talks about that. Right. One thing that's interesting, what you said, you know, you said, I learned some things to do and some things not to do. That shows that you have a certain level of like independent thought, which you have to have if you're going to do the kind of work that you're going to do, which is in any creative field, which is like you have to make your own path. So it's easy to come in and be like, okay, school, fill me with knowledge. You know what's going on. But that you got to – if you're going to go to a school, make sure you also have a certain amount of remove of like well, they might not tell me the way that I – that the things that I actually need to learn for the type of career that I want to have. Like they're going to be inconsistencies, you know? Yeah. So you come out with like – not just like, okay, this is how it works. I'll just follow the, the rules. But like right. in my experience, this was great. This was not. I'll make my decisions accordingly, you yeah. know, on my own. I think a big part of it is like, what are the rules? There are well, that's, a, that's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's all these things that you could learn as far as like how to book a band or like how to negotiate a contract. Right. But especially nowadays, all that stuff is thrown out the window. Like yeah. there's, there's no standard way to do anything. Right. Um, and as far as like recording goes, someone use, someone tells you how to properly mic something, how to properly compress something. Right. And then my favorite records are ones where people totally go off the hook and they like break fuck rules, it up. Yeah. They don't, they don't like sit there and like, oh cool, I gotta use this setting on this instrument. Right. And yeah, and therefore do it this equals way. a correct record. Yeah, like yeah. a well well produced record. It's, it's weird that you kind of have to learn some of those things and then unlearn them. Right. And like, right, right. take it for what it's worth. Like, no, be aware of that. Be aware of what is accepted as like the way that it's been done or right. how certain people do it. Right. And then get what you can out of that and then do it however you want to do it, however you like to do it. Is it hard to unlearn that? What did you feel Don't, like? Did you learn? Is there something that you learned and then had to unlearn? Well, I think as far as like, recording techniques there there are books on right. on on things like how to how to stereo mic something right. or how to do this and you are taught these techniques and you know when you're making a record you might be like oh cool i'm going to i'm going to stereo mic this i'm going to xy yeah. pair this yeah yeah and you're like you have all these rules that are set and set in in print in like right. documentation right 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 but why are you recording something in stereo? Or like, why are you like, there's all these things that you are aware of. Right. But in, in practice and in like what you're trying to get across, like, are these rules even applicable right. to what you're doing? Are yeah. these techniques like, right. So how do you make those decisions? I mean, you work so fast 
and you work so quickly as this, as you, when you're in the studio and, and I've obviously I've watched you work for years like there's I don't even I barely even notice your decision making process you know a lot of it is is experience okay a lot of it is how you've done something before and you're like I remember that worked out really well right and <clears throat> The next time you do something similar, you may or may not pull from that, or you may right. or may not pull from the 800 other times you've recorded an electric guitar. Right. And there's there's not one set way that I'll record anything. Um, a lot of it is circumstantial. A lot of it is what is easiest for me to do at the moment, right. so that someone's not waiting around. So right. Or like something that's available. If a drum kit is all set up and I need to record a guitar amp, I'll just grab whatever is available. Right. Um, but a lot of it is just just doing it enough that you have that back catalog to to pull from. Right. So it becomes instinctual. It's like you just got to do your reps. Yeah. Yeah. So I could tell someone, oh, I, I did that this way. And because they like the way that that sounds, for a long time, they'll th- they might think that's like the best way to do it. Right. And I go through that a lot too. I'll be like, Hey, that guitar tone's really great. How'd you do that? And I might go through this phase where I just, just do, do it, it that time, one yeah. exact way. Right. But after a while, it kind of fades off, and then start, stuff starts like cycling back right. around. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that. So, so what you're saying about like you're you're you have to acu- instinct is is accumulated over time. Instinct is accumulated. Did you worry? Do you do you look back at the stuff that you've done? You know, when we first met, when you were first starting out, and you cringed, do you feel like you were? Do you have to hit a minimum level where you're like, "Oh my god, what was I thinking?" Or do you feel generally pretty good about it? Like, have you? Do you see a progress? Yeah, I I don't think there's anything that cringeworthy. I think right. the the weird thing to me is I'll listen back to something I did a while ago right. when I feel like my my bank of knowledge wasn't right. as as full, and I'll think to myself like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I, I don't know if I could recreate that that right. way. And it's it could be a thing where I have too too much knowledge, too much of, like, I'm not... You'd overthink it yeah, now? Well, yeah, well, not even overthinking. It's, like, there's too much to pull from where it would right. cloud your your judgment, your right. your instinct to do, to do something a certain way. So you know too much now. Yeah, basically. Yeah, um, all right, we're going to systematically unlearn a lot of things. <laughs> No, it's, I think anytime that you do something a certain way, it's influenced by so many things uh, around you. Like right. What you've been listening to, what your right. favorite record the past week was, what. Right. What gear is in front of you. Yeah. All that stuff. And it's just, talking it's just about. a matter of like, all of it just comes down to preference and taste. Yeah. So you could be like in this really weird, like funk zone all yeah. of a sudden and like. You know, get to go right. for all close that, mic drums. That sounds like yeah, that, yeah. 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 And then, you know, a, a week later, you could just be like in in like total weird like ambient world, right? And just room mics, yeah, yeah. And and it goes, it goes any direction, right? So, right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, there being no rules. I mean, in some ways, that seems freeing, but also that probably the could be very stressful right because you're like oh, yeah. well i don't know 
what couldn't you be get paralyzed? Have you ever been gotten paralyzed by that? By the sort of like the wide openness of yeah, options are terrifying. Yeah. Um, if if you have too many things at your disposal, too right. many instruments, too many sounds, too many right anything, it and you're not making a decision on something and, right. and like figuring out how you want to convey something, then you're creating a bigger mess for yourself. Right. Um, like a mental mess or like a, a an arranging mess. Right. Um, like nowadays, you can make a record sound like any other record that's made in history right. <laughs> or anything that's right. any combination of that that, is, that has never been done. Right. Um, like records before, like records a while ago in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like a, a lot of that stuff was done not totally by choice. It was by like, right. cool, this is what we have on hand. This is how many tracks we have. This right. is the, the time we have allotted. These are the tools that we have. And right. you make the best of that. But nowadays, you can get any one of those pieces of gear. You can right. get a plug-in that emulates any one of those pieces of gear. You can, you know, cr- create anything in a, in a computer. And right. And do all that, and that's a ton of options. And hmm. it, if you don't know how to how to how to manage all those right. options, you can go into a deep hole of like <laughs> working on a record forever, right? Not knowing when something's done, not knowing what a song is supposed to sound like, or right. like what you're supposed to sound like, right? Because you don't have to. You don't have be to be set choose, within yeah. those, those limits anymore. Yeah, so so what do you do? What do you do personally to keep yourself from going down that hole? Uh, deadlines okay. is, is a good one. Yeah. Like finding a really realistic goal of what we're trying to do and how much time we have to do it. Um, you can have an unlimited budget of, of time and and I guess like, Money for like sure. studio time and working sure. on stuff, but that I've I've not seen too many examples of that getting better after a certain point. Right, there's all there's a diminishing returns that you hit. There's like a yeah. there's a peak and then it just gets tougher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I would rather I would much rather keep working on a bunch of stuff, a bunch of new stuff, stuff that like keeps keeps things exciting, right. rather than one thing that you're you know, you're torturing yourself over. I get that one thing right, sure. Yeah. Whereas it could have been right, like, it probably was right a right. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not much changing, and there's, there's probably a reason that stuff was done like that uh, from, from the beginning. Right. Right. Okay. And I guess that works because you also are in a studio. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that, that are, are mem- members of our community that have their own home studios. I mean, that sounds, you know, I have one in my basement and it's terrifying. Honestly, sometimes I don't even want to go down there because I'm like, I don't, I can't finish. Like, it's mm-hmm. in, it's in pot. I have anything I could do. I could do anything. Mm-hmm. And is it because you feel like, because you're actually, because you're like a paying, and you're like a paid engineer, it's your profession that, that you can set that kind of thing? Like, what happens, I guess, what happens if you're not in that position? Do you just have to, arbitrarily decide stuff or no i think i think having a home studio like you're saying yeah it it definitely has 
that as a little bit of a problem is that you can wake up one day and you're like, I have this great idea. The song, this is exactly what it needs. And you could wake up every single day for the next year (laughs) and do that. And have a new idea and do it, right. And um, I think to combat that collaboration is really important. Having outside ears, having someone that you respect and trust kind of weigh in and be like, this is great. Like you're done. The, yeah. I don't, I don't know what you're right. What you're worrying about. Right. Or, um, it, that's, hmm. that's a limitation having, okay. having, uh, cutting yourself off from having that unlimited right, amount of yourself, time yeah. and from yourself and from right. your, your own head. Um, but yeah, collaboration is super important. I mean, a lot of the records I work on now, they are not done 100% in the studio. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that seem like they are, I think they come out well only because people come in really, really prepared. And I feel like that's part of my job. If someone is, is coming in to do a record, um, I, will, I will chime in and work with them on demos, on right. how to prepare, how to expect to get things done while they're in the studio for a pretty concentrated amount of like shorter amount of time. Whereas if it wasn't for that, either the results wouldn't be as good in that amount of time, or we would have to spend much more time in the studio to work on that stuff. Right. So you're, you're talking like pre-production basically. Pre-production. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, a, a lot of that stuff is when people are working at home on their, on their songs, on their production is like, you can get a really good idea of what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. And like the home studio setup is super useful for stuff like that. And then right. like being able to, to bang it out in a larger scale. Right. And that's like a great use of, of that both technology, environments, right. environments yeah. and like, um, and, and that's a, a, good example of a collab- collaboration in, right. in, in, in a sense because you're working hard on these songs and creating this this thing and then you might go to a producer or a studio and right. kind of have this song reach its full fuller potential. Right, you ask them to help you in the, the actual execution of it, not right. just in the idea generation. Right. Yeah, well it's like, I mean I find that it's even, studio time for me is even just valuable because it forces me it forces me to to get out of my own head and pass it off to somebody else and say okay listen here are my ideas now i'm going to commit to actually coming and getting them done and someone else is going to be there saying okay let me help you do that yeah and the minute that happens i i it short circuits a lot of the like perfectionist sort of like oh man i gotta just like i gotta toil away at this i gotta obsess over this you know like i think we are sort of taught right or wrong about the sort of like the lone genius, the sort of like the, like, uh, the, that obsession leads to great work, you know? Mm -hmm. And what you're sort of saying in some ways is kind of the opposite, which is like, listen, you got to finish things, you know? It's true. Obsession is very important though. Yeah. Um, I think obsessing in the right parts, I think obsessing at, at certain times. Yeah, when when do you think obsession, like when is it, it's a double-edged sword. When does it work? When is it not? Well, I think, like you are saying, going back to previous work, I think when I had the time to obsess, I would obsess. Right. Okay. And that that part of it, the part that would drive me nuts, the part that would I would 
completely overthink, that's part of the learning process. Right. And once you you get what you get out of obsessing about something and realizing that it is the simple decision you could make uh, and like trusting your own decision-making skills right. in, in that situation is something you'll pull from later on. Like okay. that, that part of, of like that time of turmoil of, right. of obsessing over that later on, Hopefully you'll learn a lesson from that and you won't go through the same thing next time. Right. It's a bad sign if you're repeatedly obsessing over the same yeah, thing. Yeah, you're not, not learning. Changing. You're, not, right. you're not figuring out right. why that's that's driving you nuts. Okay. And I think everyone has to do that like when either they're writing a song right. or uh, learning how to get a good drum sound. Right. Um, but the time to not obsess is when you need to get a good drum sound. Right. When, when you're working with someone and, you know, you have... Right. 50 mics in front of you and, and all right. this stuff, like you take from experience and those times of you obsessing over why that doesn't sound like the way right. you, you want and you're hearing your head and then you you pull from that and you make it work in that right. in that time. So I think there are times to obsess and times not yeah, to. Yeah, right. Well, and even just you said, I mean, the, I, I'm trying, one of the sort of overarching questions that I'm I'm interested in with you is that you know, you're in this place where you're doing very well for yourself and the trajectory of what you're going to be able to work on seems like it just keeps opening up. And I'm curious why you think that is. Like, why are things going well for you, you know? And one of the things I'm hearing you say and I'm realizing as I've watched, I've been, you know, like watching what you've been doing for the last four years is like you do learn and you learn at every turn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it seems like you're like, oh, I, well, we learned this now. I got this new piece of gear. We tried it out. This happened. I like this. You know, it's like, there's, there's this, there is an evolution. You know, you didn't just walk in and say like, cool, well, I know how to do whatever I do, mm-hmm. you know? So I, and I wonder whether you credit that as part of why things are working for you right now. Um, but I'm even just curious, like as a general question, like what, you know, or at least do you agree that things are going well for you right now? Is that even too gross of a... Uh, like, is that a too big of a statement? I don't know. I, I, I like the work I'm doing. I yeah. like, uh, the people I work with. So yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that. Um, but you should take away something from every project you work on, everything right. you're doing, you should, right. you should take some sort of knowledge away, whether yeah. it's like, oh, cool. We, this was great. Or right. the other part of it would be like, I would never do it this way again. And right. that'll that's just as useful as like figuring out how to make make a certain thing sound really good. Right. Um, mm. but I think I think also when you start out like writing a song, playing an instrument, uh, recording music, mixing stuff, you're you're starting this learning process. And a lot of the times you also are working with people who are in that same part of the process. So you're, you're learning how to record a band and you're recording a drummer who is learning how to play the drums. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And and that's kind of perfect, right? You know, you both get to learn at the same time. It's, yeah. it is, but it, it's, it can be hard. Right. It can be hard and you're figuring out why you're, you're you can't figure out why the drums don't sound the way that you, you oh, right, want and it could be a tone out. thing because your drummer is not yeah it could producing be a lot of good stuff. tone yeah and I think I think a, a lot of a lot of that stuff takes time with like 
um, working and collaborating with other people, working on your right. own craft, right. and and um, you know figuring out what kind of stuff you like to do and right. like who you like to work with. Right. So it's kind of like you know choosing the members of your band. Everything just has to work really well together. Right. Right. Um, for for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And and I think that growth and being surrounded by people that you want to work with and you right. respect and trust, I think that level of of uh, of of growth and just like community building right. will help you do anything. Will help you be better at what you want to do, whether it's you know recording or mixing or being in a successful band. Right. It's it's or, a lot of that. Or running a nonprofit. I mean it is it's the network that you build. Yeah. Um well when it's interesting too because there is in some ways, especially when we talk about like the home studio thing, there is a potential I, I don't even know what the right word is like and there's it, there can be a proclivity to like stay by yourself because you can. You know, like at one point, you kind of couldn't make a record without involving other people. Mm-hmm. That was like pretty much not something you could do top to bottom. Right. Now, well, a lot of people can. A lot of people can record stuff. They can be these one, one-man one shops. And I guess what I hear you saying is like you're throwing that idea into question. It's like maybe that's actually, yes, we can, but is that actually a good, ultimately a good idea for a lot of different reasons? Mm-hmm. You know, both for your career, both for your creative output, for you know, getting out of your own head, you know, is that does that make sense? Is that yeah? There's there's definitely you're you're able to do a lot nowadays. Yeah. But if by doing that, there's there's so much more that you're. I feel like you could be missing out on. Right. There's like I love watching other people do what they do if they're really great at it. I'll right. always like. Notice something that I'll I'll take away from or right. be really impressed by, whether it's something that they think about or not, and like you were saying right. with uh, working fast in the studio, right. it's that same thing as drawing from their bank of experience and knowledge, right. and you know I might ask them why why'd you do that and they 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 won't have a very specific answer and might just be right. like it, I've done it before <laughs> and, do it, yeah. and it worked out great and yeah. It's something that I might not really have thought of, or right. I thought of like a year ago, and it's never come back into my head. Right. So, um, I think it's just as easy to get stuck trying to like figure everything out yourself as it is nowadays to to be able to, you know, pull from a bunch of other people's right. ideas and minds. Um, like, there's there's like message boards for that stuff. There's all the right, totally. all the stuff for all the the weather vane like technique right, stuff. Exactly. Is like it, it's really it's it's a large large bank of, of yeah, knowledge, and, knowledge and, yeah. and stuff. And those sessions are kind of crazy too because you can tell nothing is ever the same. There's a lot of standby ways to do things like certain techniques, but then there's just as many other things that are done totally on a whim that work in that situation that are right kind of like oh. in episodes of shaking through yeah 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 absolutely like, and that's it brian says that over and you've said it too it's like there aren't kind of aren't 
wrong decisions. There are one, every decision has consequences, mm-hmm. and you have to be aware of those, and you don't want to get yourself stuck in too many poor consequence decisions. But ultimately, like, loosen up and let yourself just act on instinct. Yeah. 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 So what do you think makes a good engineer? I think um, a good engineer is is fast on their feet. Is like is constantly thinking. Is constantly uh, looking ahead and right. being prepared for however a session is going to go. Okay. Um, like a, a lot of what I think a good session is is making everyone feel good mm-hmm. and everyone feel like we're getting really good work done. Right. And even if that's not the case, even if there's a day where things right. are going really poorly, right. someone feels not well, someone doesn't feel confident in what they're doing, um, making things run smoothly so that 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 workflow can continue, that you know, progress happens. Um, that's that's right. super important as an engineer, I think. Which is one of the, which is like, um, it's like, the, it's, I mean, it's a client side thing. And it's a thing that you don't learn in school. You're taught this sort of like abstract, like let's make this sound good. Mm-hmm. But you're working for people. People are paying you. And so you want them to feel good about what is yeah. happening. Well, I think as an engineer, like making something sound good, that's the easy part. Yeah. Like you get to a certain point where you can trust your skills enough and stuff sounds good. Right. But it's a matter of preference if it's like, is this the good that this person's talking about? Is this the good that the producer's right. talking about? Is this right. Is Does it, it like fit the right the song? Good? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, the word right. Yeah. So, you know, good and right, that's all subjective. Right. Um, so it's a balance of like the good, right sound. Right. And and just being running things smoothly and quickly and, and right. smart. Yeah, and that well that's a, you know, that's a higher level con- or next level concept where like you you do have to get to that baseline where you're like, okay, well I trust that I can make something that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that means I can also make something that sounds right for this song. Yeah. And then after that, it's about the experience that I'm creating for people. Yeah. You know, like all the best engineers in the world, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll make something good, make right. something sound good. Right. Be able to, you know, capture right. whatever is being put out. But the, the ones who are right for a project or the ones who are making meaningful contributions to that are the ones that uh, can, can conceptualize what the artist is is wanting to get out of something what the producer's vision of something is and, right. and making that all, you know, collide in the right way. Right. You have to have people skills, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, there's that, the, the, the cliche of like the angry sound guy or like the, the surly engineer sort of thing. I mean, that you're sort of saying like that doesn't get you very far ultimately. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, that's not going to help anyone. Right. Right. Um, do you have heroes? Like, do you have people who are like that dude? I don't know how he does what he does. Like, yeah. Um, I think right now, 
a lot of a lot of what I uh, like to listen to and really study, I feel like goes in goes in trends, okay. goes in like cycles. Yeah, what are you on right now? Um, I really am like into huge like big time pop mixing. Okay. So, like, well, I think I've been like diving really deep into mixing lately, and like. Okay really uh, researching and exploring how, uh, how specific you can get in that part of the process. Specific, what is that? How the, the role of like an outside mixer, okay. I think is really interesting. Someone who Someone wasn't- Someone who didn't engineer it. Didn't engineer right. it, didn't produce it. And um, you know, someone who is a dedicated mixer they they generally don't th- their their skill set is very wide their their stuff can sound very different but mm-hmm. like also very similar in a sense okay. in how how things are presented right um one one of those big guys for me is Michael Brower okay what um, has he done he's he's i guess he's best known for like he's done uh Coldplay records and John yeah. Mayer records okay. yeah. um he mixed the last Grizzly Bear okay. record. Um, but like he's a good example of um, of like like I was saying uh, with techniques and rules yeah. and stuff. Like modern music is all about compression right. and and processing things in very interesting and and potentially extreme ways. Mm-hmm. And I really really like his approach on a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very musical, but it's also very um, big and almost over the top. Right. Like he can right. he can get into pop production zone, but still keep uh, that band element. I feel like right. keeping that right. uh, balance of like super over the top, like big radio sounding thing. Right, um, Shields is a good example of that. You know, yeah, that's. His his use of dynamics, yeah, like that's the thing about mixing, and especially for like big pop stuff, is yeah, is dynamics are are more about how they're conveyed rather than how much they exist. Is okay, yeah. Unpack that. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems like a big one, right? The yeah. perception of bigness rather than, or the perception of dynamics rather than actual dynamics. Absolutely. Okay, um, and that goes all the way back down to like the recording. Okay. Side of things too. Um, yeah, there's a. I have a lot of questions in that. So tell me, tell me more about what that means. Uh, modern music is a lot more squashed. There's a lot right. less levels of dynamics. Right. You hear a lot of people talk about dynamics. Yeah. But in the end, you you really want to be able to control them. You you kind of want things to be very solid. Right. And almost less dynamic. And yeah, you want to be compact and forceful. Right. And too much dynamic range, there's a looseness to that, I guess you could say. Right. I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely different ranges of right. of of how dynamic things should be. And um I think in in a lot of mixing that I've seen and a lot of mixing that I'm doing lately, uh so much of it is just controlling and playing with those dynamics right. of of cramming these amount of tracks into the same 
left right space that you have right um and it can be really hard yeah it can it's it's an interesting struggle right and i think the mixes that i like and the productions that i like are the ones that you get all of that impact you feel the the ups and downs the the big courses and like the the parts that get shrunk down right but they still carry themselves really well in a lot of different situations, a lot of different systems. And right, is that why you'd say you want pop music or modern music is supposed to be that compact because it has to be so versatile? It's got to work mm-hmm. on iPod headphones and car stereos and high home systems. And it's like it's got to it's got to hit you everywhere. Like you're not going to take any chances that like, yeah, this would be great on the radio, except if you're listening to it in the car, right? You can't take that chance, right? Right. It's got to kill everywhere. I mean, there's a, that's, that's one side of it. Right. But I think there's a balance that you can have stuff that sounds really muscly and pumped up, but not like you're not degrading the, the quality of something. You're not losing nuance and detail right and i think and that's the skill yeah i think that's the skill that's like striking the right balance of like creating that excitement but you know still having those those ups and downs the progress in a song right the um the emotional movement right of things is there an example is there a good example we can use like uh hmm you mean of like a recording or a record? Yeah, and I'm like so specific. Like I want to, I want to hear you explain that perception of bigness or perception of dynamic range, but it's not actually quite. It's not quite that. You know, like I, I yeah. want to like. Um, well, another mixer that I'm a big fan of yeah. is uh, Dave Friedman. Okay. Yeah. And he's. I feel like he's kind of uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Someone like Michael yeah, Brower. Yeah, tell me what he's worked on. Where uh, he's done a lot of the Flaming Lips okay. discography, uh, records with Tame Impala. Yeah. Um, but I think he's a little bit more on the experimental side, right? Of stuff that's not traditionally considered, uh, you know, super hi-fi or like like pristine. <laughs> right, 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 right. And. And he's really good at that. Right. And I feel like the, the productions that he chooses to be a part of already come from that world are like, you know, not not properly recorded in, right, in right. a lot yeah, of senses. Yeah, yeah. Well that uh, Tame Impala record was done in that dude's bedroom. Yeah. 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 And I think like take that for example, like yeah. uh, uh, Lonerism. Right. Um, that's a really good record of like of things being very dynamically controlled and tamed down right through distortion and compression and right. all that and the record still has the peaks and valleys of right. of uh of what is perceived as cool this is like the mellow quiet part and then here's the really over the top right. super pumpy right bombastic thing right and uh you know that's that's really good use of all of those uh, of exploiting a lot of those yeah. techniques of right. like extreme compression yeah. of uh, distorting things. Right. Uh, whereas you know you go to school and like don't, don't do that. Don't, do that. <laughs> don't, there, don't drive that so hard. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's red lights on things. For yeah, 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 exactly. Um, 
So, right. Like he's, I think he's the kind of guy that he knows how to make right. a proper hi-fi record. Right. He doesn't choose to do that. He, he knows his gear in and out and is very willing to try something out. And if it doesn't work, he'll do something else and make it work and, right. and know when that's working for you. Right, because the only ultimate answer is whether you think it is right for the song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that could be using the gear, you could say, wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, you me- I remember you at one point running like an entire mix through the like BA-39s, like the Germanium preamps that you guys have. For the BA-31s. 31s, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you just like, I'm just going to put the entire mix through this, right? That wasn't something, I remember you talking, telling me that, it's like, that's not something you're supposed to do. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I guess, I guess it's not, it's, it's, that wasn't what it was designed to do. Right. Um, right. But I don't remember why I did that in the first place. I think we were just messing around. I uh, think it was like Big Troubles or something like that. This big Troubles, the entire one. Twin Sister in Heaven. Yeah, was, yeah. Was done that way. It was around the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It, <laughs> I don't remember if it was something that I did totally on purpose. Right. Or if it was a mistake, something patched into something else and I just kind of ran with it. Yeah. But. Well, sometimes that's just as good. I mean. Yeah. Whether it's like an act of genius on you or like an accident that you saw and, ex- and let continue. I mean, you still have to make a decision. You could have unpatched that. Yeah. I probably did a handful of records, a handful of mixes like that and then one day I just decided to stop one day I decided let's let's not let's go for something different or I worked on something that I knew that wouldn't uh be beneficial to right and you know it's it's not something I do all the time or it's not something that I I don't do all the time right but now that you brought it up I'll I'll try (laughs) to do it again yeah exactly (laughs) um actually Nate has them right now they're getting recapped I think is he having with him they might be downstairs I don't know yeah so yeah, he sometimes has he sometimes tests them out over here. Um, so so you worked on I guess the biggest record to date you've worked on would be the national record. Is that right? What is what is biggest? I don't know. I, tell me. I'm, that's like that's my impression, but I don't know what else. I mean, you've worked on a lot of great records, but like yeah, that was that was a really big opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about. About that, how'd that happen? Um, well, I I was engineering the record for uh, for the national, which they self produced, right? Um, and and Aaron Desner, um, he he was the guy that I was working with the closest. He was right. He has a studio in his garage, right? And it's a it's a very nice room. It's not a garage garage. It's right. a converted right garage this is in brooklyn uh, this is in brooklyn yeah and uh i met him on sharon van etten's record tramp because he ended up producing that record right and then um i mixed most of it over at minor street right and you know between then and the national i did a couple records with aaron in in pieces like uh yeah. Some mixing for local natives. Um, and, you know, they started this new record and she just asked if I wanted to, you know, be a part of that process. Right. And they cut all of the basic tracks in upstate New York 
And then they brought everything back and kind of, uh, you know, worked on it real hard for two months with me. Right. In Brooklyn. Okay. Um, well, most of it was in Brooklyn. We spent some time in, back in upstate New York. Right. Where was uh, that? Dreamland? It was in Dreamland. Okay. The basics were cut in a, in a different studio uh, close, close by to Dreamland. Okay. But um, we did like strings and horns up in Dreamland. Yeah. Yeah. How do you adjust to a new room like that? Is that, I mean, that sounds intimidating to me. Like you have a different listening environment. You have different, I mean, just like you have a different board potentially. Like you have like signal chains and routing works differently. Like how do mm-hmm. you, I'd feel pretty intimidated walking into a new room. Especially like Dreamland, you know, like yeah. what, what do you do in that situation? It is pretty intimidating. Yeah. I think that was the first time in like, that was the first large format console that I've worked on, I guess, in like, besides my the MCI at Minor Street. Right. Um, in like four years. Right. Uh, at Dreamland, there's also assistant engineers who kind of help you through, walk you through the room. Um, right. They'll work the patch bay and like, you know. Right. You have people who know. Yeah. Because a lot of it's, a lot of it's like routing and where stuff goes and, yeah. and, and in what order and. Absolutely. Right. There's, there were assistants that would, you know, walk, guide you through that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like a day or two into it, I would start figuring out where things are. Right. Um, and those are the people that have used the room before. Right. I've never stepped foot in there. So a lot of times I will ask for their, uh, you know, guidance on like, cool, what do you like to use on this? What, because they know the, they know the gear selection as well. Like, Right, just because you're in the engineer doesn't mean you have to be domineering over every single decision. I mean, right. we could put something up, and I could not like the way it sounds, and right. we'll we'll change it up, we'll move it, we'll we'll do something. Right, but I don't want to start from scratch. I don't want to. That that goes with the whole like keeping things moving, right? Part of right. part of the process, right? And like, cool, trusting that guy, collaborating with the person who's right. been in that room hundreds of times, right, and seeing where they like to do certain things and, right. and taking their advice on that. And right, because they know how the room sounds. They know where they want to position yeah. someone in that room. And then working yeah. from that point. Right. Um, like at Minor Street, I could I could run so many things in there with my eyes closed. I know where right. everything is. I know right. one little, you know, I'll notice if something's like off by like an inch. Yeah. If someone's moved yeah. my like yeah, yeah. mouse pad or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Garth Brooks mouth, mouse pad. Yeah. yeah. But uh, a big part of that is just adapting and kind right. of like, you know, getting your bearings and then trusting everything you've learned up to that point, trusting your right. ears, trusting your decision making skills, and um, just kind of letting it go from there. Right. Um, last question. Maybe you already answered it. What was your sort of big takeaway? Or what, what have some of your big takeaways been in the last... I mean, you, I can mention the, the national record, but I know that there are other things you've worked on. Like, what, are your, what were your, have your big takeaways been in the last year? Where you're like, oh, man, this, here's the next level. I think really figuring out um, processes. Really figuring okay. out, like, having some sort of structure in doing anything. Like figuring out uh, how to organize uh, like sessions, how okay. to organize a day, right? How to 
you know, make these, these broad guidelines, how to organize like a record, how to, right. how to do all that stuff. And it's just all these broad guidelines that, um, you know, help, help put things together in a very broad sense. Right. But, uh, there's nothing super specific about how I want to do any of those, uh, those one things. Right. None of what you just said is about your sounds, your, your gear, your, you know, like mic chains in a way or not specifically. I mean, like the most specific one of that would be cool. This is how I would structure mixing a record. Okay. And this is how I would approach it all the way down to this is how I like to set up my sessions and my routing and right. uh, be ready to to actually start making creative decisions rather than like mixing in the the technical aspect with um, with like literally just where do I where do I route this thing and like right you don't want to get you don't want to get weighed down by having to like refigure out how to route something like you don't want to get into like technical problem solving when that can take the place of creative problem solving. Right. And yeah. And that again kind of goes back to like cool setting these rules, setting these guidelines right. and then giving yourself the time to not follow any rules. Right. Um it's it's that balance of like here's the very meticulous detailed stuff and right. then here's the other part to just go off and do whatever right, you want to improvise. Do. Yeah. Yeah. And you need both sides of that. So right. Yeah. Right. No one to obsess. Yeah. No one not to. It all it all comes full circle. That's all, right. We did it, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate you talking. This is awesome. And I want to I wanna have you on more. Thanks. You know? Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. Cool. All right, man. Wow. Okay, that was great. Mm-hmm. Let us not forget that I taught him everything <laughs> he knows. <laughs> the Weathervane Podcast is a production of Weathervane Music and was edited by Matthew R. Poyer. Today's theme music comes from the mixed stems of the song Water Duct that John produced with the band Ava Luna for Shaking Through. Uh, you can check out the episode at weathervanemusic.org slash shaking through slash Ava Luna. Your hosts are me, Ryan McTeer, and Peter English. Peter is working hard and fast at a new podcast. It's called The Long Play. I bet it's just riveting. You can go judge for yourself with an iron fist at the longplaypodcast.org. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Brian.